Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You ever get so stressed you feel like you just want to pop or like you can't focus anymore? Well, it might help to change your mood with herbal remedies or aromatherapy. Folks have been using herbs to promote health since the beginning of time. In fact, in 460 BC, the Greek physician Hippocrates, he used herbs for healing. He also recognized the significance of the mind-body connection. Today, Western medicine tends to rely less on natural remedies, but even if it's not for you or you haven't ever tried it, you likely know somebody who still uses medicinal herbs and essential oils as a gentle way to enhance their emotional states. For today's Please Explain, you get to meet Sarahana Silverstein. She is a master herbalist, classical homeopath, and international board-certified lactation and breastfeeding consultant. She's also the author of Moodtopia, Tame Your Moods, De-Stress, and Find Balance Using Herbal Remedies, Aerobotherapy, and More. It's published by Dakapa Press. Sarachana, thank you so much. Welcome to our show. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, you know, there are people who want to join our conversation, so if you are listening, our number here is 212-433-9692, or you can tweet us at WNYC Midday or me at Duarte Geraldino. So, Sarah, uh, you begin Moodtopia with a story about one of your daughters. What happened to her while she was at work? Uh, it was such a terrible story. Uh, I hate to begin with the negative, but it's a great place to start. Um, she had been hit by a car, and it was mir- a tow truck, actually, and it was miraculous that she was fine. She really, you know, had some bumps and bruises. And a couple months later, she was substitute teaching in Midtown Manhattan, and she felt her right arm begin to be go numb, and then her left arm, she was taken away by ambulance, and within an hour, she became paralyzed from the shoulders down. Oh, my goodness. She was a quadriplegic, and she was a very healthy, gorgeous young woman in her mid-20s. It was ridiculous. It's just so startling just to hear that. What did that teach you about moods and emotions. Well, what was so interesting was obviously, you know, the first couple weeks when they said she was going to be in bed for the rest of her life, and they basically gave up. Um, It was so daunting. I mean, you know, talking about your emotions, I mean, I went from laying on the public bathroom floor sobbing to screaming and yelling in the hallways to being numb. But what was really interesting was um, a year and a half before this happened, um, I had written a book proposal on moods because after 26 years of working with thousands and thousands of women and then their husbands and children, I saw that people, um, that moods are real, moods are important, and People get stuck in them. They get stuck in sadness. They get stuck in frustration. And it kind of ruins the progression of the goals that they had in life. So I had written this book proposal with an amazing co-writer named Susan Golant. And I hadn't yet sold the book when this happened to my daughter. And what I started realizing about three months into it was that I was using everything I had written in my book proposal to keep my daughter and I sane. 
So it's so weird to think back of it because I had written this blueprint of what was going to get my daughter to heal before this whole incident happened. I mean, I'm happy to say right now that despite medical predictions, she is walking um, with a cane. She's on her way to walking without a cane, and she's functioning beautifully. So this book, Moodtopia, um, is a blueprint for people that are going through huge traumas or people that are just having trouble going to their local store and go shopping because little tiny incidents can throw our emotions off. It doesn't have to be these big, grand, horrible experiences. I mean, just dealing with a coworker that's frustrating or, or a mother-in-law that's frustrating. And, and, and this book can give really inexpensive tips to be in control of your moods so your moods don't control you. Congratulations that your daughter is doing better. I mean, it, it really sort of is a weight lifted on all of us right now. I was just, my heart went out for you. When you talk about moodopia, that word, where did that word come from? You know, we were looking for a, a way to describe where people want to be. And as I just said a moment ago, my, my, my phrase is be in control of your moods so your moods don't control you. So, you know, it's very interesting because I have a chapter in the book called Fake It. And, you know, modern psychologists are going to say, what, Sarahana, what are you talking about? Fake it. And I think that learning to fake it is probably one of the most important tools that a person can learn. Meaning, if you're having a really frustrating, challenging day, and your kids are coming home from school. Everything you're feeling is correct, but you need to learn to have that strength where you can look at your kids and say, mom's having a very frustrating day. I'm not upset with you. You're still perfect and I love you madly. And once you can control yourself enough and be aware that your frustration doesn't need to be a part of your child's life, then you're going to be more in control and more empowered. Now, after the kids go to bed, you can cry, you can scream, you can do whatever you need to do. But it's really important to learn not to become captive to these moods. Um, I, again, I'm not pushing them away. I'm kind of like, in the book, I'm teaching people to just kind of put it on the shelf for a little bit, and you can get to it in a more appropriate time. And I mean, it's certainly not appropriate if, if your boss is coming in your office and you're looking to get a raise and you want to advance your career. That's not a time to speak about the frustration you're having with your husband. But what about these herbs? Now, what type of herbs and remedies do you actually use to change moods? So herbs, as you said in your wonderful introduction, and thank you for that, have been used for thousands of years. Pharmaceuticals are really new, and they have their place. But there's an herb called skullcap. Skullcap. Excuse me, which is it? Skullcap. S-K-U-L-L-C-A-P. It's in the mint family been used for generations. And skullcap, when taken internally, not in pill form, I like herbs to be taken in what is called tincture or liquid form. It will, within 20 minutes, calm you down without making you feel sedated. And it can get that 
intense nervous feeling that people get in their stomachs when they're nervous or agitated. Um, I suggest that people use it all the time. I mean, I'm a mother of seven kids. Congrats. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I had a girl, five boys, and then a girl. And when my five boys would come home from school, you better believe I took Skullcap every day. They'd come in. They'd be roughhousing. My house would be destroyed within moments. And I knew that if I took Skullcap, my reactions would be tempered. So for me, it was a wonderful tool. And I see with my clients all across the U.S. that when they have Skullcap in their purse, in their backpack, in their desk at work, it's a great tool to have. It's not addictive when you decide you don't need it, you don't have any withdrawal symptoms, and it helps with digestion. I mean, it's kind of a perfect herb. I, I do want to caution, you know, obviously if you're listening and uh, you're dealing with clinical depression or thoughts of suicide, we all want you to seek help from a doctor or a licensed mental health professional. We're talking about herbal uh, remedies that may lift your mood. Wouldn't you say so as well? Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up because I do want to say that pharmaceuticals definitely have their place. And we've come so far in America with understanding um, mental challenges, um, emotional challenges, and a lot of people need pharmaceuticals. But here's what the stats and the research that I found is saying, and it's this, one out of five Americans are taking psychotropic medications. Usually they're prescribed by your GP, your general practitioner, who only has between six and eight minutes to take time with their patients, unfortunately. When people are giving, given psychotropic drugs from their GPs, they don't see it as so urgent, and follow-up is almost non-existent. And, and what, what studies are showing is what used to be common complaints like, I have a little insomnia, or, you know, I'm feeling very frustrated, or I like to use the word melancholy as opposed to depression, people are handed these psychotropic drugs. And they're not necessarily the answer for the typical person that's going through life's challenges. So pharmaceuticals are wonderful if you do have clinical depression, bipolar, schizophrenia. We're not even discussing that. I'm discussing just people functioning on a day-to-day basis with the stress of being up on your social media, the stress of sitting in traffic, the stress of, you know, people lose their jobs. There's no such thing anymore as people that work, you know, 35 to 50 years for an organization. These are real stressors that cause emotional distress for so many people. You're a master herbalist. You're trained in classical homeopathy. What exactly is that? What's a master herbalist? Well, you have to have been working as an herbalist for over 10 years, having worked with over a 1,000 clients, and um, having been schooled, which I was for many, many years, and then you sit for an exam which um, through what is called American Herbalist Guild. You present cases, you discuss herbs, and then the board decides whether you have enough knowledge and experience and expertise and no complaints. You know, we're, we're not selling snake oil, that's for sure not, and then you can become a master herbalist. You mentioned the snake oil, and I have to ask you, some people say this is all pseudoscience, that these are just placebos. How do you respond to them? Well, we know that they're not placebos, but even if it worked as a placebo, 
How great is that? Um, if you had a child that was really nervous to go to school and afraid that she was going to not be liked or he by their peers, and you gave them some lemon balm, which is another herb from the mint family that we use, which is calm and soothing and has a PS that is antiviral for school kids, even if it was placebo and your child felt better, how great is that? But with lemon balm, we know that it's calming and soothing. Um, you can use it when kids have colds and flus, when adults have colds and flus. It kind of takes that edge off of agitation. So I think that, you know, slowly but surely, um, clinical studies are coming out to show that herbs work. Um, I don't think there's a great financial um, incentive to have people study herbs because here's the bottom line. If I taught you about four herbs that were appropriate for you, um, even if you're not a gardener, I could teach you how to grow them. I could teach you how to dry them and make them into teas, or I could teach you how to tincture them. So ultimately, when you work with an herbalist, it's our goal that you don't get addicted to us, that we teach you how to use the herbs, so then you can use them for the rest of your life. You can have a very difficult month and feel like you need herbs every day, and then you have a month that you feel calmer and you just forget to take your herbs. So we really encourage independence as opposed to dependence. A lot of your work focuses on women's health. Are these herbal remedies effective for men as well? Absolutely. I have to tell you, you know, I, I, I find that women seek out help more often than men. And I do work with a lot of men, but they're usually pushed by their wives or girlfriends <laughs> or mothers, you know, to come to me like, guys don't usually like to say, by the way, you know, I get really agitated and I get so nervous before public speaking that I go in the bathroom and throw up, you know, they usually are a little too macho for that. But I have this great story. There's this herb called motherwort and it's used for hormonal gloominess and grumpiness. Motherwort? So, Mother wart, W-O-R-T. And, you know, women can take it, you know, before their cycle, during their cycle, after their cycle, meaning they can be pretty hormonal the whole month. So I had this guy in my office. And, I mean, the way he was speaking and complaining, I was going in the back of my brain, oh, he needs mother wart. But (laughs) it's really, like, historically used for women. So I just kind of gave him the herb. And, you know, this was before the Internet, so I wasn't worried about him looking it up. And his wife called me three weeks later. She said, I don't know what you gave to my husband, but he is so much easier to be around. He is doing great. And I called my teacher. I said, my mentor and teacher at the time, I said, oh, my gosh, I just gave motherwort to a male, and he's doing great. And she says, there you go. There you go. Herbs herbs don't mind working in anybody, male or female. So, yes, herbs work with men beautifully. They just have to be willing to ask for it. So herbs don't mind working in anybody, male or female. If you have questions about herbal medicine, our number is 212-433-9692. Again, that number is 212-433-9692. So give us a little bit more detail about some of the the more common things that you think could be aided with some of these herbal medicines. And if you could drop some names, that would be good too. 
I would love to. So I think that insomnia is a big problem, especially because we're all on our devices, even though we know that we're not supposed to be on our devices before we go to sleep. I know that everybody's doing, you know, 20 million things at the same time. And by the time you get to bed, it's very hard for people's minds to unwind and relax. And I'm one of those also. So there's an herb called California poppy. Um, which has been used forever. People used to make poppy pillows where they would take the herb and put it inside and um, people would sleep on it thinking that would help you sleep. That's an herb that you can take to help um, relax you, reduce that that monologue in your brain that seems to not be able to shut down. When you take herbs to help with insomnia, though, I don't want people or I don't suggest people take it at 1 o'clock in the morning when they need to be asleep by one fifteen, <laughs> <laughs> because things don't work that quickly. So it's best to start taking an herb around dinner time. Maybe repeating it again around 8, 8.30. You can even repeat it again around 10 o'clock so that it's slowly but surely getting into your system. There's an herb called passion flower, um, which is a wonderful herb. You can use it with children. You can use it with pregnant women, men. Um, that's a really gentle herb. The flower is stunning. I mean, I want everyone to look up on their phones passion flower. It's one of the most uniquely gorgeous flowers I've ever seen. And that herb works to calm your body down to get you ready for sleep. Do you have to eat it or do you have to grind it up? What do you do with it? So for me, working, I work, I work in Los Angeles and New York, so I work with city folk, and my clients don't really take the time to drink teas. So you could drink it in tea form if that's your lifestyle. But for me, I have my clients buy the herb in what is called tincture form. They're the little brown glass bottles, and it's a concentrate of the herb, and you can take a dropper full and dilute it in a little water, warm water, or or some juice, and that's the way I find my clients do best. Fascinating. I'm Duarte Geraldino, and I'm speaking with Sarahana Silverstein. She is an herbalist, homeopath, and doula. For today's Please Explain, we're talking about herbal remedies. Now, she's the author of Moodtopia, Tame Your Moods, Distress, and Find Balance Using Herbal Remedies, Aromatherapy, and More. You can join our conversation at WNYC Midday or at Duarte Geraldino. Up next, we're going to be talking about aromatherapy. This is Midday on WNYC. And I'm Duarte Geraldino, and we're speaking with Sarahana Silverstein. She's an herbalist and homeopath about herbal medicine and aromatherapy. So, Sarahana, aromatherapy, right now those misters are all the rage. People are buying them left and right. What should we be putting in them? Um... I'm so sorry. I got distracted. Say that one more time. I'm so sorry. No worries. Aromatherapy is all the rage yes. right now. People are buying these little misters, and there are yes. all these sorts of oils. I have one myself. What should we be putting in them? So, you know, I think the most important thing with aromatherapy is to find that scent that you feel comfortable with. Like, if you want to calm down and relax, you know lavender oil has all these studies about how it helps you sleep. But if that's not the smell that works for you, it's really important to find one that does. So 
one thing I've learned about aromatherapy and smells is that our, our, our olfactory system, our sense of smell, creates amazing memories. I, I say this story all the time. I hike when I'm in California, and there's this one part of the hike I go through, and it has this piney smell. And it reminds me of when I was 10 years old and went to horse camp, which is a few years ago. So it's amazing how it just pops into my brain. So I tell people that they can use aromatherapy to create memories and to create behaviors that they want. For instance, back to sleep and insomnia, because I know it's a big problem today. So if every time around 8 o'clock at night, let's say your goal is to get to bed by midnight, you put a little bit of sandalwood. You could put a couple drops in the palm of your hand and inhale. You can put a little bit um, on a tissue and inhale. You can buy expensive diffusers, or you could just use what you have available. And then you smelt it a little bit around 10 o'clock at night, and you put a couple drops on your pillow, your brain would start associating going to sleep with the smell sandalwood. So besides the clinical double-blind studies that they are doing out there, you will create that memory if you want with aromatherapy and oils. And when I say that to clients that way, they find that they work more effectively. Because what happens is a lot of people will buy, like, grapefruit. Grapefruit is a beautiful stimulant. Um, it gives you energy. And my clients that are suffering with exhaustion, uh, maybe they have conditions that are, that are making them feel exhausted, they'll smell grapefruit two or three times and call me up and say, it doesn't work. Mm. I'm like, well, it's not going to work two or three times. If you get into a habit of every morning smelling your grapefruit, then your body will understand, now I'm up. Before I was asleep, I need this energy. And that's the way I feel oils work even better than just waiting for those oils to work for you. So what I'm hearing is that it is literally a training between a stimulant, this oil, this mister, and your mind so that you can then recreate that onto mind. By the way, one of my favorites is the scent of orange, which I know is a little bit strange, but it always calms me down. We have a caller, Gina, in Point Pleasant Beach, who has a question. Gina, welcome to Midday. Thank you so much. I'm really enjoying this conversation. My question is, because I do like to use homeopathic plant-based whenever necessary, but I'm never sure that I'm getting good quality. Is there a specific brand or what? And I know there are so many different ways, you know, like you were talking about the tincture, there are pills and all that. What do I look for so I know I'm getting exactly what I need? Sarahana? I, am, I, am I allowed to mention names? I would love to. Yeah. So, so it's very important that, especially when you're working with herbs, that you have a master herbalist looking over the herbs. So my two favorite companies, and there's so many, one is called Herbalist and Alchemist um, with an herbalist named David Winston. And my second favorite, and they're equal, is an herb called Herb Farm by Ed Smith. So this is what I teach my clients all the time. When you get a batch of herb, let's say kava kava, and you send it to an, her an herbalist like Herbalist and Alchemist or Herb Farm, and if they felt the, the roots were too dry and weren't going to work, they will 
refuse that batch, but they'll say, the, 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 buy, the, the, the providers will sell it to someone else. I mean, they're certainly not going to lose their money. So you need to use top quality herbs. And that's a great question because it's, it, you need to do some research. In my book, Moodtopia, in the back, I do talk about herbal companies that I've researched and feel are top notch. Hey, it's it's important to note that obviously if you have a serious medical issue, you should consult your doctor before taking some supplements because they might impact uh, the actual prescribed medication that you're taking. Isn't that right? Yes, I, I would say that you should consult an AHG herbalist and your doctor because unfortunately our doctors are not familiar with the actions of herbs so the 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 beautiful goal would be that you have an herbalist this is if you have a serious condition of course that you have an herbalist on hand and an md have them meet each other so that the herbalist could explain to the doctor the action of the herbs most of these herbs are not regulated by the fda right well, you know, I have to tell you, having been at many plants, I've been at Gaia, I've been at Herbalist and Alchemist, and the FDA is in there all the time. They have certificates. Um, they have chemists working for them. So you'd be surprised at the quality control of the top herbalists. It would blow your mind because I, it is so regulated, so that's not correct. That's misinformation that the world has out there. Ah, one of our I listeners. Mean, when, I, when, I, oh, sorry, when I go into these plants, I mean, I'm wearing a net on my head. I'm wearing a lab coat. My hands are washed, and I'm not allowed to touch anything. So they're very well reg- regulated. Fascinating. One of our listeners wants to know a little bit more about aromatherapy, because again, aromatherapy is so incredibly popular right now. If you've lost your sense of smell, does aromatherapy still work? You know, that's such a great I, that's such a great question. Oh my gosh. Well, we can apply um, essential oils to our skin, to our soles of our feet, to our back, to our bodies. Um, most essential oils need to be diluted, and the answer, as opposed to putting them on neat, just you know, straight on the skin, some you can use neat. But I think you could derive the benefits if you put it on your skin. The answer is yes. So you would suggest putting on the skin even if you can't diffuse it. By the way, I'm sort of struck by the way you described it. If you take it neat, you're talking like a cocktail without ice. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. So neat means that you put the oils directly on the skin. And in my book, Moodtopia, I do have a section on what does it mean to take them neat. And I do have a list there on the the oils that you can put directly. But if before you read the book, Moodtopia, I would say dilute the herbs would be best in a little bit of an oil carrier or a lotion. So Glenn in Long Island City has a question. Glenn, welcome to Midday. Thank you. It was a pleasure to speak. For you people, I I really have been trying my hand at herbal medicine lately. And one of the things that I I did when I was, one of the things that I've learned over the years that I've tried is is royal jelly. And uh, I have a second follow-up question. My second follow-up question is, medical marijuana considered herbal. Thank you so much, Glenn. So, Sarahana, royal jelly and medical marijuana. Those are two great questions, Glenn. Thank you. 
I'm I don't use royal jelly in my practice. I think it's a has a lot of wonderful medicinal uses. So I'm not the expert. So I'm not going to comment because I don't want to lead you in the wrong direction. Now, medicinal marijuana is, of course, the hot topic. Now, let me tell you my my research and my understanding of medicinal marijuana. It's not in our basic Materia Medica of herbalists. A Materia Medica is kind of our dictionary, our go-to place to look up and research herbs. So marijuana didn't make the cut. Why? Because it doesn't really heal anything. So here's the story. If someone's, God forbid, going through chemotherapy, they've lost their appetite. Using some marijuana is going to give you the munchies. And that's amazing. You need to keep weight on you. You feel nauseous from the chemo. Then I think it's a great idea to use marijuana. But if you're dealing with chronic fatigue syndrome or you're dealing with um, um, other kinds of conditions that cause physical pain, when you use the marijuana, it's going to take away the pain in the moment. But here's the downside. When you come off your high, your pain is still there. So even if marijuana is not addictive in the same way as tobacco, people become addicted to it because they want to get rid of that pain. But as I said before, when you stop using it, the pain is still there. So when you work with an herbalist, we want to use herbs that heal the problem, that take away the pain, that get to the core neurological pain or muscular pain that you're having so you don't need to use the herbs for a very long time. Does that make sense? Yeah. Have you tried CBD oil? Myself, I mean, I know that my clients do love it. Um, there's so many oils out there. There's St. John's wort oil. There's plantain oil. There's yarrow oil. There are so many herbal oils in my pharmacy, in my office. So that's not my go-to oil. So one of our listeners is also an aromatherapist herself, and she's wondering um, if you could talk about how certain oils are becoming over-harvested, like sandalwood, and how hard it is to find essential oils these days. Right. I mean, you know, we have, you know, the plant savers list, which I'm a part of that organization, and there are a lot of plants um, that are, are being abused. So that's not my specialty either, but I know that like an essential oil, like lemon balm, like peppermint, like spearmint, these are, they grow in, they grow so easily, they overtake your garden. So, you know, if you want more information, Plant Savers Society is the place to go. And I agree with her. Um, many of the wonderful essential oils are being over harvested at this moment. So what about your gut health? There's always, I mean, so many of us have issues with our guts. <laughs> what do you yeah. recommend for that? So I would jump back to herbs, botanicals, um, taken in either tea form or tincture. Um, I, I know that gut health is so important and so compromised with our levels of stress and the way we're eating. I mean, most of us, me included, guilty, guilty, you know, how often do we sit down midday, really sit at a table, you know, have our feet planted on the floor, a napkin on our lap, and actually chew our food without either speaking to someone or being on our phones? That's not what's happening with our culture anymore. Um, but herbs have been used for thousands of years. There's an herb called 
Meadowsweet, which has a calming, soothing effect on the stomach and helps with digestion. The herb I've discussed so many times right now, lemon balm, also helps with digestion. So, and there's something called bitters. Have you ever heard of bitters? That's like in cocktails, right? Or is it different? <laughs> Yes, that's also for cocktails. But there's herbal tinctures called bitters. And what the way it's used with herbalists is it's in tincture form, which is in liquid form in those little brown bottles. And you take a couple drops or a dropper full of the tincture on your tongue, and they are bitter. That's why they're called bitters. And they start stimulating the digestive juices in your stomach so that when food goes in your stomach, there's already a cauldron of stomach acid. So it's very interesting because in America today, we use a lot of... Um, uh, medications that suppress stomach acid. And when you work with an herbalist, we want to really increase the stomach acid because we feel that if you increase the stomach acid before you eat, then the food will already start being digested as you're eating. So that's where bitters come in. I mean, it used to be the custom for, for generations that you'd get a bitter hors d'oeuvre, um, like um, leeks are a bitter, or um, uh, uh, water chess, uh, watercress is a bitter, um, dandelion leaf. And if you begin your meal eating bitters, your stomach will be more prepared to eat your fried eggplant and your garlic bread. <laughs> so, so we have a couple of listeners who have very, very specific questions. One, can we clarify the, like, California poppy, is that what opiates are derived from? It's in the same family, but that's not the plant that they make opiates from. So we don't find the same addictive um, potential and the withdrawals that we do with opiates. It's in the opiate family, but that's not the plant that they use to make opiates. So what about St. John's wort? Everyone hears about this. What exactly is it used for? Great question. Love, love, love. So St. John's wort flowers are one of the most gorgeous flowers. I think everybody should look it up on their phones right now and look at St. John's wort flowers. So oh, I'm so sorry, you- Sana. We got to go. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank now, you. And I'm Duarte Geraldine, and I've been speaking with Sarahana Silverstein, herbalist, homeopath, and doula about herbal remedies for today's Please Explain. She's the author of Moodtopia, Tame Your Moods, De-Stress, and Find Balance Using Herbal Remedies, Aromatherapy, and more.